0: Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host... Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Our guest today is Nakia Reviak. She is the Director of Consumer Insights at Netflix, and she will also be a keynote speaker during ACHE's upcoming Virtual Leadership Symposium, which will take place October 10th and 11th. Now, at Netflix, Nakia leads a team that sits at the intersection of content, marketing, and product uncovering insights to inform product content innovation and creative production. Now, previously, she was the head of research at Twitter, where she was responsible for envisioning and executing holistic research plans to drive product policy development and innovation for the Twitter app and the tech giants, other revenue generating products. Now, Nakia is also the host of Culture Unfit. That is a podcast dedicated to celebrating and creating a community for beautiful misfits, who feel they don't fit in at work. And she played a key role in launching the Who She Feels She Is initiative, which focuses on helping women across the Caribbean traverse their unique professional paths. She has an MBA in marketing from Baruch College in New York and a Bachelor of Science in International Business from Barry University in Miami Shores, Florida. Now, during the virtual leadership symposium, Nikia will talk about why curiosity is the starting point for building authentically diverse teams that are higher performing and more innovative and creative. And you can register for that today at ACHE.org backslash VLS. But for now, she's going to give us a little sneak peek at those remarks. So Nakia, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. So happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much,
1: Eric. It is my pleasure to be here.
0: All right, let's start with that topic of curiosity, which is going to be a big part of your talk at the Virtual Leadership Symposium. Tell us a little bit about how being curious can lead to breakthroughs in various areas, diversity, innovation, creativity. Let's talk about being curious.
1: Well, we are all human. And whether we're working with people or working with family members, at the heart of those connections is humanity. And I think the one thing that is an undercurrent in relationships at work and at home is an understanding of each other. And all too often, misunderstandings, conflict at work, um, bias that shows up in the workplace, even decisions that go awry are rooted in a lack of understanding, not even of the issue at hand, but of the person in front of, of, of us. And so... I firmly believe that uh, communication and curiosity are, are hand in hand or work hand in hand to allow us as human beings to connect with one another in very humane ways. And so when I think about my life at work and I think about the teams that I've built and the teams that I've been a part of, those that tend to be more successful at achieving whatever goal they have in front of them have... Establish really strong ways of working rooted in an understanding of how to communicate well with each other, but also founded in a genuine curiosity about uh, the person next to them. And I'll say the curiosity isn't necessarily tell me how many dogs or cats you own, although that could be part of it if that's you know what floats your boat. It is tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are. What is it about the career that you're pursuing right now that is so satisfying? And if not satisfying, like what's missing? And it doesn't mean that the next project has those questions answered in a way that moves the project forward, but it certainly helps people work well with each other. Because simply understanding as an example, um, that let's just say for the purposes of, of this conversation, Eric, you are really, really great at communication, which it sounds like you are because you're you. in, this, in this role. <laughs> However, um, data and numbers, not something that you love. Right. Let's say you just didn't love Mac. You nailed me. my yes. understanding of that will allow me to say, OK, well, I am really good at math. I'm not. Um, let me help you. And all of a sudden, the project benefits, the relationship benefits and the business benefits as well.
0: Well, let's talk about some of your other passions here. You know, you truly have a global background. You're a native of Trinidad and Tobago. You've lived in Spain, Mexico, Switzerland. Uh, You've led teams pretty much all over the world. Um, You studied and pursued a career in dance before entering the corporate world. So how does all that global background, dance, how does that inform your work and who you are as a leader?
1: I think that it has allowed me to have a natural empathy for other people simply because I've been pushed into situations where, one, I was often in a space where nothing that I had experienced in my life could give me uh, the preparation I needed to to deal with certain issues. Um, But also it exposed me to just different mindsets and, and views of the world and cultures and beliefs. And ultimately, when you bring a natural understanding that Your life and my life are just completely different. Your experiences and my experiences may have some things in common, but fundamentally are different. Um, It allows for a kind of patience and understanding that I think is uh, really, really helpful. Uh, And it's it's allowed me to traverse all manner of challenges with a kind of patience that I don't know if I'd had, if I'd just stayed in the US all of my my life. Uh, And then I think when it comes to dance, My career as a dancer and growing up learning how to dance helped me recognize that at the end of the day, we are emotional beings and want to feel something, feel a connection to something bigger than ourselves. And so when you get on the stage and you put on that piece of music and start to move your body, part of what you're trying to do is to make the audience feel something. And so much of work is about the work, but it's also about trying to be curious about people understand like what makes them tick, which again, I feel like I got a natural ability to do that by moving in different countries, moving to different countries and living in different countries. But also dance enabled me to recognize that I could do good work, but I wouldn't reach people if I wasn't able to communicate well, to use multimedia to try and influence them and make them feel something. So in the world of work, what does it look like to make a report leap from the screen? Um, I'm not the one dancing. I don't deliver reports dancing. However, I recognize that people are, are like visual things. And, and so you can represent a data point by just putting the number, but you could also tell a story. You could also have a, a few images. And so I think both of those aspects of my life, the multicultural experiences, having been humbled by living in countries that are like, I didn't have a, I didn't speak Swiss German. I mean, I spoke Mexico, me, not Mexican, I spoke Spanish, but once I moved to Mexico, it was a whole other game. It, it humbles you. Mm. Um, and so that combined with my dance background, I think has surprisingly led to a career that's enabled me to fit in while still being myself.
0: So at this upcoming virtual leadership symposium, you're going to focus a little bit on the importance of speaking up. So even at the risk of causing disagreement or conflict. So how is doing that a critical thing for leaders? And tell us a little bit about your experiences, I guess, going against the grain and why that truly matters in leadership.
1: Mm, Yeah, no, this is an excellent question because even though I have moved up in my career, I still... Have to figure out how to do this well because every new team every new job every new boss every new management structure um asks the question do you have what it takes and, and did what you know the, the things that got you here will they get you there and so you have to kind of adjust um i think naturally and it's important that i say this because when i offer advice around how to speak up I recognize that for some people culturally it's not accepted because depending on where you are in the world, um, the understanding is that the person who's most senior is the person who speaks right in a meeting or in a forum. Right? I learned that when I was in Switzerland leading a team in Turkey, Russia, South Africa, even Saudi. Those cultures have a very different perspective around who gets to make decisions, what does it look like to push back? So that's my caveat. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or somebody who comes from a family where you were told what to do and not to say anything, or a family of people who like yell at each other across the dinner table, when you're sitting in a room with people or friends or coworkers, and there is discussion around a topic for which you have insight because you were personally working on, on it or you have some information and you see the tide of turning towards a space that you believe is wrong for the business, wrong for the company, wrong for the people. It is your responsibility to find a way to artfully and respectfully speak up. And I use those words artfully and respectfully because it's really to each his or her or their own to find a way to do it. For some in this virtual environment, raising a hand and saying, excuse me, I just want to ask for us to stop for a moment is is a good way to do it. But for others, it's really critical to try and find a creative way. Send an email, write a memo, find someone in whom you trust to bounce that idea off of and and let people know, based on my intuition and data and observations, I think that for the sake of the company, we may want to reconsider. And I think the final thing, and this is something that I've used myself to overcome the fear of maybe being uh, misrepresented or misunderstood as pushy or somebody who's not a team player because you have a different point of view, have often, and this is a I practice, spoken up by saying, for the sake of the business, or if our goal is to do this, or as we agreed to, our mission is to do why, based on this information that I have, I believe that if we make this decision, we're moving away from that objective. By framing your descent and your point of view in the context of the bigger picture, that goal that the company has or the team has, you create distance between you and your own emotions and the decision. If you start the descent and the point of view with, I feel... Um, unless you just have like a ton of respect and credibility or the founder of the company, or you know, a president of a division, um, it's, it's really hard to sort of have that credibility. So that's my recommendation. Try to anchor your dissent, your point of view, your whatever controversial perspective is in the bigger picture that everybody can buy into. That's one. Two, if you're terrified of speaking up, if English is your second or third language, If you've been taught for years by your parents and your culture that it's disrespectful to do so, find ways that make you feel comfortable, but don't let the decision pass without you finding a way to see what you want to see.
0: Fantastic perspective. And I'm going to have you expand on it a little bit here because we've all heard that cliche about picking your battles. So as a leader, how do you know when to do what you were just talking about? How do you know when to lean in or maybe in some instances when, when, when not to?
1: Oh, this is something that it's taken me years to develop and I'm still developing it. Mm. So when you're starting off in your career, I think everything kind of feels equally important and it's hard to discern what you want to fight for. Um, Particularly when you've been given a project, you think it's your baby, like you birthed it. And so you, you fight for it. And even in my line of work today, when I've had to make some tough calls like literally having to deprioritize people's, you know, projects. Um, It has been really, really quite interesting to try and figure out how to sort of say this in a way that makes people understand that like, you know, at the end of the day, it's for the greater good. Um, So, you know, as a leader, I think one of the things that I have tried to do more and more and more over time is to ask myself, what is the priority for the company? So in a list of 10 things, if I'm struggling to figure out where I want to place my energy and fight, it's easier for me to say, well, six of these things aren't like the company's priorities. So that's one lens through which I view like prioritization of energy. And then the second, because of my line of work and also because of who I am, is is it going to hurt people? and not in the company, although I do fight for people in the company as well and I'm an advocate for inclusion for sure, but if the decision or the project or the initiative in any way, shape or form, going back to the previous question, I believe I have data to suggest that it's gonna like harm profits or, you know, hurt people if we were to launch this, then I feel compelled to fight. Um, and it's not like I'm a, an aggressive person at all, but it's like finding something to sort of like, um, make more noise around find, a, you know, put more energy towards. Um, and then I guess in the, in the third bucket, and this is something I do less because I've got more seasoned and more able to discern based on those two criteria I just mentioned is my call of friend. Um, and so finding an ally in the company, who may be a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more wizened than you, to just check in with a little gut check. So and so happened, or this is a decision that's going to be made, or they made the decision to pull money against whatever it is. Am I crazy? Is this this is, is this like a ridiculous decision? Like I'm feeling, and there are times when my mentor or that trusted ally would say, you know, we've been here before. It may feel like it's the worst thing that it's being deprioritized, but trust me, the tides will turn again. And there are other times where that person has said, oh, you you, you need to continue to really fight. Um, and I'll wrap this whole, this whole section up by saying, there are times when I've had to let go, right? For the sake of my own mental health, for the sake of my family, right? So knowing how much to push when you've done the sort of checklist, right? Is it gonna hurt the business? Is it gonna hurt people? Does my ally say it's worth fighting for? Knowing how much to push. Is it three times and then you let go? Is a, an art, right? Cause there's no magic number. Um, but certainly I've had to figure that out along the way. Sometimes it took one push, right? I found a really, really great way to sort of like say that we, we must pay attention. Um, and this is a battle that like is, is important. Other times it took a couple of years. Um, And, you know, I had to find different ways, you know, you do a test, it fails, you know, there's a change of management. And so you have to go all the way back to the drawing board to convince this new person it's worth caring. Um, But, you know, it's it's sometimes ended up being worth it. But I will, I'll be honest, not all the time (laughs) is it worth it.
0: Well, you just talked about being an advocate for inclusion too. And it's something we've been talking a lot about on the healthcare executive podcast and love to get your thoughts on this. So what can leaders be doing today to better ensure that not only are all voices represented at the table, but that those voices are being heard and that their perspectives are actually being considered that difference between diversity and then inclusion. So
1: it does start with curiosity. Uh, I think that uh, What's happened in the last few years in the U.S. in particular is that there's been a push for diversity, and the word diversity, equity, and inclusion gets thrown up. People have hired chief diversity officers, Um, people who are in charge of recruitment have begun to push out into, I apologize for that ding, um, going to recruit in neighborhoods, states, cities, schools where there's a high representation of underrepresented individuals, and you know the numbers and the scorecards, I think, show that we are making some progress. However, the real thing, I think, is being curious enough to understand that once you've brought somebody in who is different, and I'm being very, very careful with my words because it's not just the way you look um, or the way you sound, it's even the way you think. But let's say you brought that in, check the box, Inclusion is really the most difficult part because to try and retain somebody who is different, like an organ that's been transplanted, there needs to be antibodies built around to keep that organ thriving. And sometimes you could put an organ inside of a body where the antibodies hasn't been built up and then what happens? It rejects it. And so what does it look like to have organizational antibodies? It requires... Lots of things, including having people who are diverse in their thinking and approaches at the top. And even if those people at the top aren't diverse, they have to find ways in meetings to welcome difference, welcome unique points of views, be curious. So an example is you have a a group around you at the table and you've done a great job of recruiting some people who don't come from your traditional industry maybe didn't have a college degree just taking a chance that person speaks up they're smart but maybe they don't have the jargon yet what's the reaction of the others and what behavior does the leader or chair of the meeting model is it okay sally clearly doesn't know what she's talking about let's move on or is it that's interesting we had not considered that can you tell me more Right, so these are examples of like antibodies where where people understand that the diversity part is one step. The other part is sort of really trying to welcome people in. And it's hard sometimes when you're starting from like ground level and you haven't built up all these antibodies, but it requires leaders to really see themselves as role models and champions um, in, in, in showing people how to sort of farm for this distinct point of view. And the final thing I'll say is, and this is something I encountered in spades when I was at Twitter, you know, there's this sort of neurological diversity that I find fascinating. So people who may be on the spectrum, as an example, brilliant minds that don't show up in the same social ways um, as many, you know, workforces and workplaces have come to expect. And when it comes time for performance reviews, what you'd hear sometimes is, well, I didn't hear that person speak up. That person's getting penalized not because they're like not doing great work, but because they didn't perform. And so, it's again, all of these systems, even performance reviews, where people you need people around the table to say, Well, why does that matter? Um, you know, what other work has demonstrated this person's excellence? So, that for me is why I'm such an advocate of inclusion because I really believe that's where the hard work is. Um, and I think going back all the way to the beginning, if we're all centered around curiosity. When you say something to me that sort of is a little off-putting, rather than assume that you don't like me, um, I might say, you know, I heard you say this, it, it kind of hurt me a little bit. Um, what do you mean by that? So yeah, I think the curiosity, patience, all of that stuff that is on the organization that's inheriting the diversity, but it's also on the person who's coming in. But we've had, um, and this is well-documented, too many people burn out on being the first. Mm -hmm. The first one, the person who has to answer the question, the person who has to represent that difference.
0: So as we talk more about this shift that you're just describing and across industries in what consumers, too, and the workforce want, need, and expect, what's your advice for the leaders who maybe are struggling to navigate that change and be successful right now?
1: I I'm really excited that this is like one of the last questions because it allows me to get on my soapbox a little bit. Um, I do think that if your organization has a function called research or insights, um, any function that has the responsibility of kind of keeping a pulse on the people that the company or the organization needs to serve, um, be best friends with them. Uh, And the reason why I say that is because When we start to work, we often become disconnected from our former selves as just regular people, right? So the moment I started working for Netflix, as an example, I moved from just like a casual viewer of Netflix to somebody who's surrounded by Netflix every day. Mm -hmm. I can't assume that I really understand what's going on with people across the world who are watching television on Netflix. But I'm fortunate in that the people who report into me, the people in Consumer Insights are having conversations with young people and older people, people who live in rural areas, people who live in urban areas, conservatives, liberals, really the spectrum. This is just in the U.S., but you can sort of extrapolate it out into the world. And I hunger for those moments because it's a way to sort of embrace and empathize with people who aren't ourselves. now, for those people who don't have the chance to interface with somebody who's in research or in insights, I like to encourage people to just ask questions of like random people in the subway, in the supermarket. Um, yes, I know that's daunting to you know just be like, hey, you know, I work in X. I'm just you know curious, but anything that we could do to try and infuse inside of ourselves a little bit of that lived experience that is not our own. If you can't have an international career and live in different countries if you don't have a researcher or a research department or an insights team please do so that's the way that i think i'm um, like really encouraging people to sort of get out of themselves get out of their house and really connect with the humanity um, that they're trying to serve but if there's one thing I want to leave everybody with, and I'm looking forward to this talk, is that curiosity really is the, the thing, and it may just mean the next time that you go to work, if you don't have access to these people, that you have a conversation with the, the you know, person who cleans the office. You know what, what's your life like? Help me understand, like what you know what are your what are your dreams and aspirations, and not just sort of ignore those people who are you know often behind the scenes. The next time that you're in, in, in a meeting and your legal partner or your finance partner is there and they're really just there to sort of like make sure the money is well spent and also that nobody's breaking the law you might want to just be like hey like you want to go out to coffee like i'm just curious like what your experience of this is so there's many 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 ways to really amp up your curiosity and i think the the dividends the the payout is great and you will slowly start to realize that curiosity, even if you felt like you weren't curious before, is something that you could develop as a muscle.
0: Well, I'm going to wrap up with one final question because I'm curious about something. Uh, talk to us a little about the importance of mentoring, what it has meant for you, uh, both mm-hmm. as a mentor and a mentee, because you have kind of brought it up throughout this discussion here. How important has it been and what has that meant to you?
1: Yeah, well, I I don't know where this uh, bug when it, at what point in my life it got put into me, but I think I've always wanted to leave it better than I found it. And that could be mm-hmm. you in this conversation, you know, it could be the mission
0: accomplished. By the way. <laughs> <all that. laughs>
1: but like, you know, so that was, that was it, right? I, I think I was a hard worker, uh, single mom, not me, but my mom, and just wanted to sort of like be better. So I was one of those, like, I want to get a good grade. I want to be better. When I moved to the US, and maybe this is sort of a classic immigrant story for school, and then I graduated from business school, I really struggled to find anybody who would pay attention to me. But I also, fortunately, was a little naive. I, you know, I just kept on going. Some people might look at that as sort of resilience and grit. And one person said yes to a random cold cover letter that led to my first job. And the impact that that yes had has been something I've been paying for ever since. Because I might have sent out like 200 cover letters to people who were alumni of the school I went to, but they—I get—they got busy, I suppose. I, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk to them because they never responded. So this woman, Elise Kane, who said yes, I'll talk to you. Let's go out for coffee. Changed the trajectory of my life, all because she was curious. And so I am inundated with work, but I often remember little Nikia, who was just like, look, I'm smart. I'm personable. I have a lot to offer. My name might look funny. And like, I did not go to Harvard. And so my resume isn't going to give you the energy and, and the potential, but like, please just let's have a conversation. So when somebody reaches out to me, it's both, I remember that moment. And I, you know, I, I don't feel like I have anything special, but I know that there's something about my title these days that makes people, when I respond, feel good. So I want to make people feel good. And then mentorship for me, because I've had all these experiences, is about just paying it forward a little bit. Like, why should you struggle, right? If if, if, if there's something that you did, and I'm sure there are all these cheat codes that you've amassed, right? Like to be able to speak so well and interview somebody coming up. That's not in competition with you. That's just like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn. There's no skin off, off, off of our backs to be able to share. So that's sort of been the thing that's propelled me to want to mentor, to want to like help people be seen. And then the final thing is that I've had great managers and mentors in my life and those who really were given the responsibility, but didn't love it. Mm-hmm. And so I just want other people to, one, feel like, you know, they are seen. And I want to help other managers be managers who care as well. Um, and so, yeah, I talk about it a lot. I will accept mentors, uh, sorry, mentees from LinkedIn, um, except for those who are just like, hi, Nikia, can I talk to you? And I'm like, you could work a little harder on your intro, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nikia, thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure it's been uh, on the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you. This has been a pleasure, Eric. And I look forward to the event in a
0: few weeks. Yeah, I'm going to plug that. Remember, you can hear Nikia's keynote presentation during ACHE's virtual symposium. That will take place October 10th and 11th. To learn more and register, visit ACHE.org backslash VLS. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening today. And we'll catch you next time on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.